Hi, welcome to episode 12 of Global Exchanges, a podcast about foreign exchange markets and related issues. I'm Greg Anderson. In this week's episode, my co-host Stephen Gallo and I will be exploring the seasonality in FX known as the month-end effect, which is basically the spike in FX volumes that happens on the last business day of the month. The title for this episode is What's Behind the Hype About Month End? For this episode, we are joined by FX sales specialists Alice Bentley and Kate Stuthers. Hi, I'm Stephen Gallo, a London-based FX strategist. Welcome to Global Exchanges, presented by BMO Capital Markets. Hi, I'm Greg Anderson, a New York-based FX strategist. I'm Stephen's co-host. In each weekly podcast like today's, we discuss our perspectives on the global economy and the foreign exchange market. We also bring in guests from the FX industry and from related financial markets like commodities. We strive to make this show as interactive as possible, so don't hesitate to reach out by going to bmocm.com slash global exchanges. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Well, Greg, it's the 23rd of June. We're almost finished with the second quarter of calendar year 2021. Probably hard to believe for some people. Uh, We're going to do something a little bit interesting today, different for our podcast show, because we have a couple of guests with us today. Our first guest is Alice Bentley. Alice is a BMO FX sales representative based in the UK, and she looks after a host of institutional investors. She's got over a decade of experience under her belt too. So she's going to have a number of different angles and nuggets uh, to share with us today. Alice Bentley, welcome to Global Exchanges. Thank you very much for having me. So I guess my first question, Alice, is why is there so much FX activity in London on the month end and quarter end fixes? So a lot of the um, month end flow would be passive rebalancing. So there's an outperformance or an underperformance of a particular asset or even the underlying currency moved a huge amount. The portfolio manager would readjust um, the balance to the intended weights on the mandate. Right. Okay, I got you. Well, in that case, then, do many managers and underlying investors really roll and true up the notionals of their hedges on the last day of the month? So some managers would start the rolling process before, but the reason it's actually done at month end is that that's when the benchmark is recalculated. So the fund manager is purely trying to minimize the tracking error to the funds, to the of the funds to the benchmark. Okay, I think I follow you. So um, in that case, then, for a highly, highly hypothetical example, Alice, what would the situation be if the return uh, in one month or quarter for US, US-based equities was uh, plus 10%, uh, but at the same time, only plus 3% for European-based equities? What, what kind of a situation would that leave the, the fund manager in? So I think you can safely assume that the exposure to the US equity market would be larger, just given the market cap is larger. Um, So in that instance, you'd probably see dollar selling at month end uh, just to rebalance the the hedges. Right. Gotcha. Okay. And um, I guess my final question, last one, um, the rolling hedges that you mentioned earlier, uh, are uh, in terms of the tenor, do they typically fall in the one month area or are they more like three month or a mix of both? 
Actually, the vast majority is the one-month tenor. Um, I think that's due to liquidity. is much better liquidity in the one month. And it also gives the ability to rebalance on a monthly basis. Gotcha, gotcha. Hey, Alice, this is uh, Greg here. Uh, I have a question for you and, um, you know, asking from a U.S. perspective. With these portfolio managers based in London managing global asset portfolios, when they think about these portfolios, and let's suppose that they're managing money for uh, a pension fund investor based in the Eurozone, are they thinking about this global portfolio in dollar terms, or are they thinking about it in sterling terms, or are they thinking about it in euro terms? Well, there's no straightforward answer. Everything seems to be bespoke, and it definitely depends on the mandate individually with each fund manager and each pension fund. For example, if you had a European credit mandate, then with a European pension fund, then that would really be no currency exposure because it's European domiciled and invested in European assets. But on contrast, as you said, if it's a global mandate, you know, benchmark against a global index, then there's multiple jurisdictions and and as a result, currency exposure. So um, to answer your question, if it's a global mandate and everything, as we said, is bespoke, we can assume that the day-to-day management of the fund would be carried out in dollars as the base currency. So um, following up just, just a little bit, suppose that, that dollar-based portfolio, it's an equity portfolio, and maybe some of the investment was in, in Canada. So the, the hedge of, or adjustment to the hedge of the Canadian piece of the portfolio, that, that would be in dollar Canada? I believe so, yeah, that would be in dollar Canada, though Euro Canada is probably a, a liquid enough pair that you could do the direct comparison. But again, it would it would depend on how the hedging would be done and and the understanding between the pension fund and the fund manager who would actually do the hedging. So the pension fund based in the eurozone might uh, have the manager in London hedge the the euro dollar exposure for them, or that pension fund manager might hedge euro dollar himself and then have the manager in London just hedge specifically Canada. Yeah, so for the vast majority, I would say the um, hedging would be done by the fund manager. But on some of the large, larger, sophisticated pension funds might encourage geographic exposure. So they might not want to have the hedges. So that could could help them fulfill their global asset liability matching. But I would say the vast majority of it will lie with the fund manager. For these global portfolios uh, managed out of London, is the hedge ratio uh, that they would have for a, a given investment, again, let's, let's say it's in Canada, is it a different ratio if, if the manager is hedging a fixed income for a portfolio versus an equity portfolio? Well, I don't think there's actually a typical hedge ratio. I think, again, it's bespoke to the individual mandate and it can be incredibly different. But due to historical correlation between FX and fixed income, the hedge ratio is often higher in these um, mandates just to reduce overall fund volatility. But on contrast for equities, FX exposure is often unhedged um, because historically equity managers make the argument that the underlying companies have FX translation risk within their corporate structures anyway. So hence the decision to hedge could create problems with the exposure to the equity underlying. 
Hey, maybe if uh, guys, if I could just uh, jump in and um, drift the conversation over to emerging markets a little bit. What about EM related trades, Alice? So for example, I, I imagine the majority of, of EM trades uh, done out of London are dollar EM. What do you think about the hedge ratios regarding the, the currency hedge, hedge, hedge ratios regarding those trades? So I don't know the correct answer to this, but I would imagine um, in EM, the hedge ratios are, are a little bit less. Um, just given the fact that EM is obviously a volatile um, investment and people who are investing in that would want the volatility exposure and the, hence the currency exposure as well. Right. Okay. Okay. I got you. What about if we if we try to look at something a little bit more specific? So say, for example, you, you've got a European pension fund and their assets under management are ma- managed by a London-based uh, fund manager, and the fund decides to take a big position in emerging markets. And let's su- suppose, for simplicity, the EM that we're talking about here is India. Do you think that is likely to result in a transaction in Euro India, Sterling India, or is it Dollar India? My assumption is it would be Dollar India, but I just kind of wanted to get your your view on that, Alice. Yeah, Steve, I actually completely agree. I think the majority of both the security transactions and the hedge would be dollar INR, which kind of fits in with the reporting and the management of the global fund, which would be in dollars anyway. But I also think liquidity plays into it, access to the market, electronic streaming, if you're executing that, would would primarily be in dollar crosses. Um, And some banks don't have the ability due to fixing risks to quote crosses. So uh, you're already cutting down your bank panel for that reason. So the majority of time, dollar INR would definitely be the favored currency pair um, for an Indian um, investment. Makes sense. So Alice, one just one last question from me. So if we're talking about uh, the volume spike that happens on month end and, and quarter end. Are you like one and a half times as busy as normal on month end or twice as busy as normal or or five times as busy uh, how much busier is month end relative to, to the other days of the month i would say it was significantly busier um five times might be a bit extreme but i would definitely go for something about three times as busier than a normal day so month end and quarter ends are very busy for you alice and we have one coming up soon and we hope we wish you a lot of luck uh over month end quarter end <laughs> um so we we thank you very much for your participation alice maybe we'll have you on again soon thanks a lot thank you okay we'd like to now welcome our next guest to the show kate stuthers who is our global head of institutional fx sales based in toronto she has more than 20 years experience in fx and has many years of that time working with Canadian and global and institutional investor clients. Thanks for inviting me to join, guys. Kate, Canada has evolved to become a major international investor country with a net international investment position that's worth about uh, 1.1 trillion US dollars or uh, call it 60% of Canadian GDP. And of course, that's, that's just the net international investment position. Canada's uh, portfolio of uh, foreign equities is worth about 1.8 trillion, and then a fixed income is worth about 0.5 trillion. So my question is, from what you've seen, roughly what share of this global investment portfolio owned by Canada is managed in-house in Canada 
versus uh, how much of it is managed by foreign-based managers. As you point out, Greg, the size of Canada's investment position has grown substantially. So, for this same reason, substantially more of these investments are managed in-house now versus in the past. Size of AUM was historically too small to warrant a team of dedicated specialists. So, over the past decade, many of our Canadian clients have been actively hiring. My estimate is that maybe 80% of Canadian assets are managed by Canadian fund managers. Okay, so Kate... What I want to do is I want to just jump into a short conversation about hedge ratios here. Based on your experience, what would you judge is the FX hedge ratio on Canada's foreign bond portfolio? And what about the hedge ratio for foreign equities? This is an interesting question, Stephen. A good portion of Canadian assets is managed by our public pensions. Since the pensions clients are captive, so to speak, Pensions do not have to worry about outflows and can use a much longer investment horizon than other types of asset managers. For this reason, public pensions can rely on the long-run correlation of CAD to global equities and thus leave their equity position unhedged. The correlation to fixed income is less clear, so these assets tend to be hedged to a greater extent than equities. I would say a very high percentage of fixed income investments are hedged, you know, probably approaching 75 to 80 percent whereas currency hedging of equity investments is likely less than 50%. Right, okay, okay, got you, got you. So I guess my next question would be, does the hedge ratio change on a geographic basis? Like for example, when we're talking about US assets versus European assets, is it likely, do you think, that a European exposure would tend to have a higher ratio than say a US one? That's also an interesting question. Whether we are talking US or European exposure, it matters, but only on the margin as this likely only pertains to active equity managers. But if you think about it, one can be a bull on U.S. equities, but a bear on the U.S. dollar. Therefore, your FX hedge ratio should be higher. Okay, gotcha, Kate. Great, great. So now what I want to do is I want to take the issue of hedges and apply it to month-end flow, because that's what we're kind of talking about in this conversation here, ultimately. So my question is, for FX hedges on Canada's international portfolio, do most of the transactions, in your opinion, happen on month end or are they spread out throughout the, the entire month? Although ETFs and index investments have grown significantly over the past few years, Canadian passive investing is still relatively small, perhaps about 15% versus more active mandates. Active managers can make hedging decisions throughout the month. However, since CAD is a much smaller market compared to, say, euro or yen, for example, Month-end hedging by passive managers can have a big impact on CAD, particularly dollar CAD. Last year in in March, during the uh, pandemic panic, we saw a a lot of activity from Canadian investors where they were reducing their short uh, dollar CAD hedges uh, on their their foreign equity and bond portfolios. That happened mid-month. And my question to you is, for a Canadian institutional investor that maybe normally uh, updates hedges on on a monthly interval. How big of a asset move does it take for them to uh, adjust their hedges uh, off cycle, so to speak? Much of it depends on whether the investment was liquidated within the month versus what remained invested at the end of the month. I suspect the March 2020 sell-off triggered several intra-month hedge adjustments, whereas the ensuing rally over the next 16 months, which was a much bigger move, managers would have been hedged at month end on their normal schedule. So Kate, what I want to do now is I want to try to tie 
all of this up, sort of package it all together and focus specifically on month-end, quarter-end stuff. If I'm trying to gauge the uptick in turnover or the volume spikes we see on month-end, quarter-end, would you say, Kate, that you're generally one and a half times as busy uh, as a normal day on month-end, quarter-end, twice as busy as a normal day, or is it something like five or 10 times busier for you? Hmm, good question. As noted earlier, Canadian passive investing is still quite low at around 15% compared to that of the U.S., which is closer to 35%. So for this reason, our U.S. clients are probably three times more active at month end versus our Canadian clients, which I would say are maybe 1.5 times more active at month end. Well, thanks a lot for that, Kate. That's really insightful. Kate, I want to personally thank you for joining us on this episode of Global Exchanges. Indeed, Kate. Thanks. Thanks for uh, joining us. That was fun. Thanks for having me. Wow, Stephen, I, I think that was really good. I think it's, uh, it's, it's been an interesting podcast thus far. I, I've uh, learned a number of interesting things. What do you think? Yeah, that's right, Greg. I think it was a good podcast overall. And there are a couple of things that stood out for me. Firstly, uh, Kate's point that now something like 80% of Canada's international portfolio is managed in Canada. That fascinated me, that number. Um, definitely noteworthy. The the other thing is the fact that both Alice and Kate pointed out the drastically different currency hedge ratios for fixed income and equity portfolios separately, I mean, and the fact that an overwhelming portion of fixed income flows are currency hedged. That point alone makes you wonder why and to what degree changes in longer term debt yields actually drive FX markets. If If the bulk of those positions in fixed income are currency hedged, it just makes you wonder to what extent changes in longer term yields actually drive FX markets. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, for my couple of takeaways from uh, the episode and what uh, was shared with us by Alice and Kate, uh, the first thing, the difference in in the month end phenomena between them, you know, just really interesting, where Alice said she's three times as busy and Kate said she's one and a half times as busy as, as normal on month end. And I guess that goes back to Alice, based in London, is dealing with a lot more passive managers who have to update their hedges on month end, where Kate, based in Toronto, is dealing with managers who are active and they update their hedges throughout the month. So my, my second takeaway, and it's, it's aligned with that, you know, goes back to dollar CAD and uh, how it behaves during the month. So if assets go up throughout the month, then Kate's clients in Canada, they've got bigger exposures and they need to sell Dollar Canada to uh, update their hedges. But they do that throughout the month. Where for Alice's clients, if just broadly assets go up, then they've got bigger Canadian exposures and they need to buy Dollar Canada, but they all do it on month end. So you get this, the selling happens throughout the month, but the buying all happens on month end. Um, Very interesting phenomena to to think about. Well, Greg, I think we'll wrap things up there. Uh, It was good hearing your takeaways from that entire podcast. Uh, Also would like to thank our listeners for tuning in again to episode 12 of of global exchanges uh, and we hope you'll join us again in a week's time thanks 
Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Listen to past episodes and find transcripts at bmocm.com slash global exchanges. We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email or reach out to us on Bloomberg. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.